If you start reading the Philippians, there are many good things said about that church. Praises from the Apostle Paul about this church. By all accounts, this church, Philippian church, was a good church. And unlike if you read, let's say, Galatians, or you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you. There is no such language in this letter. And you will realize your eyes will be drawn to those famous verses. But, as I often say, that is to see the same scenery in the park. If you go to Grand Canyon, there are some of the famous lookout points. So you'll go to Grand Canyon and you'll go to the same lookout point and you look at the Grand Canyon from that vantage point and you go home. You come back to the same spot next year and you see the same scene, landscape from same point of view and you go home. And I think that's the danger. When we are so familiar with certain texts, we go to the same spot and we see the same scenery from the same perspective and we go home. And I think one of the dangers as we read the Philippians is to see this Philippians as a letter of joy. I've said it. If you read it, many times Apostle Paul will say, rejoice and rejoice. And many commentators will say, this is a letter of joy. With that, there are a couple of problems. First of all, if I say I am going to preach from Romans or the Revelations, people will be excited or people will tense up because they know the stake is high. But if you reduce this letter into simply a letter of joy, I don't know how many people will take it seriously. Second of all, if you see this and reduce this letter simply as a letter of joy, you will read through it, every verse and chapter, and you will see that as a loosely connected ideas. So I was thinking, When Apostle Paul says, rejoice and rejoice, I am thinking that they were in fact sorrowful. You do not say to someone who's smiling, smile. So if he says, rejoice and rejoice, rejoice all the... They are sad or sorrowful. So you could say this is a letter to a, a sorrowful church or sad church. You see how when you have certain view and it becomes a dominant view, then it creates a pigeonhole. And that's all you're going to see. Uh, uh, this letter to the church at Philippi, in Philippi, is a letter of joy. I do not want to make the same mistake. So I was reading this, this 
probably three, four weeks ago, as I was thinking about preaching this text. And I've read it a couple of times, the Philippians, and, you know, just like what I was explaining, I'm familiar with this text. So I went to the same spot, and looking at the same Philippians from same angle, same old, same old interpretation. But there was one passage that was lingering in my mind. So that's where you are going to turn in your bulletin. Philippians chapter 4 verse 2. Could you turn there with me? This is the end of the, cha- end of the letter. Chapter 4 is the last chapter. And verse 2. If you are familiar with Philippians, you know this appears in this place, chapter 4. But let me read this to you. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. We'll stop right there. At the time, I was thinking about this verse. Obviously, these two ladies, women, the sisters, they were fighting in that church. So I knew this was here, chapter 4, verse 2, but I was thinking about this. And again, I was walking my dog, thinking about this verse. And while I was walking my dog, light came on. How significant is 4-2, chapter 4, verse 2? Paul urging these two sisters to get along. And I stopped and I thought, wait, Paul is naming these two sisters. It hit me. It occurred to me that Paul just named these two women. And I stopped with my dog, Bella. And I thought, oh, that's significant. The very fact that these were named, these two ladies, they are named in this public letter tells me this division was indeed a significant one. We do not think about this this way because this happens in the last chapter, chapter 4, verse 2. If you start reading from the chapter 1, you are thinking about rejoice. This is an epistle of joy. But at the end, he talks about these two ladies and oh, he just named them. You know how significant that is? So I came home and I opened that chapter again and I looked at it again carefully. And I realized in chapter 4, verse 2, it says this, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. He says it twice, two verbs, the same verb twice, I urge. I urge. It is an urgent matter. Twice, two verbs, the same one, twice. So what do I do next? I look it up in a Greek text. And you know what I've seen in the Greek text? 
This is how it reads in Greek text. Not, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche, but it, this is how it says it. Euodia, I exhort. And Syntyche, I exhort. The wording is different. The names are put in the front. What does that tell you? He is pleading with them. It's not, I urge you, Euodia and Syntyche, but Euodia, I urge. Syntyche, I urge. I exhort, whatever, or however you want to translate that. So Euodia and Syntyche, they receive the emphasis. Pastorally speaking, think about this. He is risking a public embarrassment for these two ladies. Imagine this week. I send out an, an email to you all. And I name two people in our congregation. And say in our public email, you and you stop fighting. You know what I will receive? Phone call or text from them. Why? Because this is a public letter. This is how it works. They receive a letter from Apostle Paul. Somebody comes up and they read it. Somebody will read it to the congregation. And sometimes they will circulate this letter to other congregations uh, nearby. So imagine if you are Euodia or Syntyche, how would you feel? Somebody brought a letter from the Apostle Paul. And they were listening, like you. And toward the end... Apostle Paul says, Euodia, if you're Euodia, Syntyche, to live in harmony in the Lord. This is a significant problem. If you know anything about church conflict, it's not just these two. It's not uno, dos. It's not just these two. These two will have factions. So this chapter 4, verse 2, all the way at the end, this could literally split the church into two. Not only that, this may turn some people against Paul himself. Some people may say, Paul, if you are a pastor, how could you embarrass these two prominent ladies in your letter like this? That's not what pastor does. Yet, he says this in chapter 4, verse 2. Now, read verse 3 with me. There are just a couple more things that he adds. And this will convince you how significant this problem is. Indeed, true companion. This is not Euodia, nor Syntyche. We don't know who that person is, but... True companion, I ask you. You is singular. So he is saying someone, whoever that is, true companion, I ask you to what? Help these women. And their history is here. Euodia and Syntyche, who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Together with Clement, that is, Clement also shared in my cause of the gospel. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
He doesn't say they are non-Christians, they are non-believers. No, they are true Christians whose names are written in the book of life. But these two ladies, they are old-timers. Possibly founding members of the church or in the early stage they have joined. There's every indication this is not simply, these ladies were not simply sending money to Paul, but they actually have shared some kind of laboring together in the gospel. Probably then in the early stage, about 10 years ago, around that time, we do not know. So these two ladies are not just anybody, but someone who know Apostle Paul intimately. They have worked together with Paul alongside him, laboring for the gospel ministry. That means they were committed people. That means they were the servants of the church in Philippi. That means so many people in that congregation have received so much blessing through their labors. So the fracture at the top, I wouldn't want to say top, but this prominent group will have a ripple effect throughout the church and even the churches in the region. And as you have seen, Apostle Paul said, true companion, you help these ladies. What does that mean? I was thinking about, oh, did anywhere else Apostle Paul say anything like this? Enlisting someone to help something in the church. Think about that. In Paul's letters, can you recall any places where Apostle Paul asks someone to solve such a problem in a church? I couldn't recall immediately. Maybe you can. But think about this. When Apostle Paul enlists a third, the third party to step in, this division has reached its peak. This is the end of the road. They are not, it's not they are unable, but they are unwilling to resolve the issue. See? And this is not a doctrinal issue because if, you, if it was, you know Paul. Paul would have said something about the situation if this compromised doctrinal issue about the gospel. But I'm pretty sure it is not. Whatever the cause was, what is sustaining this problem is their ego and pride. Conclusion is this. My observation is this. Chapter 4, verse 2. Something that I've read numerous times. If you were to ask me 20 years ago when I was in seminary, how significant Euodia and Syntyche problem for the Philippians, I probably would have said, not much. It's not a big deal. What is important is sola fide, like Romans. Euodia and Syntyche problem is everywhere in the church, and I am sure it is necessary to fix the problem, but I would say that is not the gospel issue. But if you were to ask me now how big this is, chapter 4, verse 2, I am sure you know this verse. I would say this is a major issue weighing heavily upon Apostle Paul's heart. And I would argue that this will affect everything Paul will write 
in the book of Philippians. I will even say this is therefore not a letter of joy, but letter describing and trying to solve in some sense Euodia and Syntyche problem. Otherwise, the only other option is he wrote everything that he had to say and at the end of the letter, oh, I thought about Euodia and Syntyche. Oh, let me address that. But if you know Paul, he's a careful man. He's thinking and praying about this church. And it probably took me about 20 years of ministry to recognize how big this issue is. And I believe this has something to say about the church of Jesus Christ in 2021. Not just our church, but churches in general. So with that in mind, let's see what Paul says about this situation and his solution. He offers his solution. You may not notice it immediately, but if you Meditate upon it. It will yield the fruit for you. Please read with me verse 2 again. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. That's NAS. To live in harmony in the Lord. That's a bad translation. ESV says to agree in the Lord. New King James says, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Literally, in Greek, it says this, I urge Yodia and our Syntyche to think the same in the Lord. To live in the harmony, to agree, to be of the same mind, but literally, to think the same in the Lord. LSB, legacy. I looked it up. That new translation, legacy says, to think the same way. But the way is not in the, in the Greek. But it comes close. The solution that Paul offers here is not so much agreeing to each other, or even having the same mind or to live in harmony. I don't think so. But literally, thinking the same thoughts in the Lord, and I believe there's difference. Let me explain. Let me use, but let's say ESV. Apostle Paul is saying, you guys agree. Agree in the Lord. Now, I thought about that. What do you mean? A and B to agree. Either A or B, they, each one has to give up their position. And to go to the point of B, B has to come to A. That's how you agree. Or you come to the middle ground, and A comes to the middle point, P comes to the middle point. Depending on the issue, what if you cannot come to the terms, or come to the middle, or even agree to disagree? Yodia and Syntyche, you guys agree. How? What do you mean to agree? Depending on the issue. Let's go to New King James Version, the translation. Yodia and Syntyche, to be of the same mind. 
What do you mean? Same mind. If you are married, you understand the struggle. Do you have the same mind? Be of the same, can you be of the same mind in every contentious point with your spouse? It will be difficult for anyone to have something of the same mind. This solution, to agree, they're fighting, so agree. Or have the same mind. I don't think it works. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Because neither is happy and it's not going to last. Then let me explain what I'm thinking the solution is. I think the key is to think the same in the Lord. I think the key is in the Lord. You may read it and just move on. In the Lord. And you understand that is Paul's one of the favorite phrases that he uses. As you have seen from Philippians 1.1. What did he say? To all the saints, does he say? No, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Remember, in him. Here too. What Apostle Paul is saying to them, even though in few words, is that you audience in Taiki, think the same in the Lord. So I focused my mind on that phrase, in the Lord. What does that mean? In the Lord, as we have dealt with, that describes our reality that we have in Christ, in union with Christ. It's not to think about the same thing or to think about the same thing in the same way, of the same mind. But when you start meditating upon that last phrase, Yodhya and Sintaiki, to think the same in the Lord, what is happening to you is that you are thinking about your attitude in Christ. To think the same in the Lord. In the Lord. That union with Christ must affect your attitude. That's, I think, what Apostle Paul is saying. Not simply agree. Or he's not simply saying think the same way or have the same mind. But first of all, you must recognize that you are In the Lord. So let me think about and let me explain that same old phrase that we are familiar with. In the Lord. Have you heard about a man named Athanasius? Athanasius is from A.D. 298 through 373. Athanasius. He is one of the church fathers we say. And he was the one, Bishop of Alexandria, North Africa, who championed the Orthodox Christology against Arianism. And he wrote a very famous book, small book, treatise. And it's still available. And the title of it is this, On the Incarnation. He says this, The ultimate ground for the work of salvation was God's goodness. We usually say, and even I explained, it was the love of God. 
But Athanasius, if you read that on the incarnation, he says the ground of God's salvation for us in Christ is his goodness. And let me give you a phrase from him. It was unworthy of the goodness of God that creatures made by him should be brought to nothing by sin. What then was God being good to do? It was impossible, therefore, that God should leave men to be carried off by corruption because it would be unfitting and unworthy of himself. So what Athanasius is doing is, because God is good, and because of God's goodness, incarnation, remember the title is incarnation, incarnation of the Word of God, that is Jesus Christ, was the inevitable choice for God. Why? Because incarnation, he assumed a body that is capable of death. So starting from goodness of God, he talks about incarnation. For us who stand in the Western tradition, we talk mostly about death and resurrection of Christ, correct? But the Eastern tradition emphasizes the incarnation, Greek Orthodox. For them, incarnation is the foundation of our salvation. Why am I talking about incarnation? Apostle Paul said, Yodia and Syntyche, to think the same in the Lord. How and why are they in the Lord? Yodia and Syntyche. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the love of God. That's why we are in Christ, because of His love. But let me point out today, through Athanasius, on the incarnation, the reason why Euodia and Syntyche is in the Lord is because the second person of the Trinity became incarnate. Incarnation. Don't think about death and resurrection yet. Incarnation. What is incarnation? Second person of the Trinity assuming a body. For that to happen, Athanasius says, the Father's goodness. Right? It was unworthy of him not to care about the fallen human beings. So for Father, the foundation is goodness. But think about in the Lord, Christ. What is Christ's response to God's goodness? The Father says, let's save the man. The second person of the Trinity has to agree because obviously the Father is not forcing the Son. You better do this. So from second person of the Trinity, Christ's viewpoint, when he agreed to undertake that work of salvation to become incarnate, Father's goodness, Son's what? Son's attitude of humility comes into play. So we could think about in the Lord in many, from many different angles. First, you could be the love of God. Or the goodness of God, Athanasius. But the Lord Jesus Christ, for him to assume and to be one of us so that he is able to die on our behalf. And he was there for three days, raised and ascended 
And through faith, union with Christ, you audience in Taiki, you are in the Lord. To think the same in the Lord. That existential reality that Paul is talking about in the Lord. Very simple. In the Lord. Two words in Greek. If you audience in Taiki understood what Apostle Paul is saying. You know what Apostle Paul is saying? Humble yourselves. That is why you are in the Lord. Because who humbled himself? Christ, the second person, had to agree with the Father. And it took Christ's humility. And that is why, you audience in Taiki, you are in the Lord. And once you begin to think about why, why and how you are in the Lord, and think about Christ's attitude, then you will begin to think the same. Whichever way, same way, or the same mind, to agree, to live in harmony. It will be the end result of Euodia and Syntyche properly understanding their in Christ reality. And I am not today talking about it from the love of God perspective, but from Christ's humility. And where do you read about Christ's humility in the New Testament? One of the most profound Statements in the New Testament to talk about Christ's humility is where? You tell me. Philippians chapter 2. That's right. If you do not have Euodia Syntyche problem until chapter 4, really chapter 2, verse 5 and following, the famous passage about Christ coming down, his humility is some random Christology statement. But if Paul had Euodia and Syntyche in mind throughout as he was writing this letter, then I have every reason to believe why Paul talked about Christ's humility in chapter 2. And that's the reference point. And let's turn there quickly and to talk about, to read about this. Chapter 2, verse 5. By the way, this was the first passage that I've ever read when I was becoming a Christian. About 20 some years ago in Houston, Texas. Have this mind or attitude. It says what? Attitude. But that, that Greek word attitude is mind and it is the same root word as to think the same. So for Yodia and Syntyche, when they heard to think the same in chapter 4, verse 2, their Greek mind is hearkening back to chapter 2, verse 5. Because it's the same root word. Have this attitude or mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant or slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There it is. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, with that in mind, 
Let me read Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 in NIV. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Again, why and how are they in the Lord? Because of the humility of Christ. Yodia and Syntyche, could you humble yourselves as your Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself? Is what Paul is saying. Could you obey? Because he became obedient to the point of death. You may not like that person now. You may not, you may not really agree. But could you obey the Father's command to love each other? Are you willing to obey the Father? Death on a cross. You read about it. Cross was a humiliation. Are you even willing to go through humiliation? Just because Christ went through that phase for you, are you willing to do that for your sister? Is what Apostle Paul is saying. Let me end. How are you? How are we as a church going to survive the issues? We will have many points of disagreement in the church. That's the fact. Then I hope you remember. How Apostle Paul said to them to think the same, not the same thing per se, not even thinking the same way all the time, always. How can, how can you do that? How can we do that? No. But to recognize that we are in Christ, in the Lord. And as you think about your attitude, about contentious point, then your humility in Christ will affect the outcome of that issue. And I think that is the way forward for our church. I can't think because of that noise. <laughs> But you understand what I'm saying. So let me end right here. Let's pray.